Hello, America. This is The Daily Answer, your host, Mark Dunnigan. I was recently just struck by how often the Bible exhorts God's people to be blameless, whether it's Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 or chapter 5 and verse 27 when it talks about the church, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. And of course, the church is made up of people. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 10, Paul's prayer, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. That's a great thought. In order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Also chapter 2 and in verse 15, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. The other thing that kind of strikes me uh, biblically is that there's this zero tolerance policy in the New Testament for God's people like dabbling in sin or living a double life. In Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 3, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you. You know, it should not even be uh, mentioned among you as far as that anyone would be involved in anything like that, as is proper among saints. You're saints. You're God's people. You don't live that way anymore. There must be no filthiness, no silly talk. Uh, definitely a zero tolerance standard. Same thing as in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That is, you're not allowed to keep any of that. First Peter chapter 2, 1 and 2 has a very similar theme. You need to get rid of all guile. You need to get rid of everything that fits in the sinful category from your life. Or in James chapter 1, verse 21, even after we become a Christian, James says, let us get rid of all that remains of filthiness. And uh, chapter 26, of course, defines, excuse me, verse 26, chapter 1 of James, defines pure religion as to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. And not only for your own salvation, but it would be for their salvation as well. No one's impressed by a hypocrite. No one's impressed by a lifestyle um, that people are not, Uh, walking the walk. What's really going to draw people in is not only what you say, but even more importantly, what you do. That is, you're living the life that you claim to profess. All these expressions, particularly keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, reminds me of a Daniel or Joseph. Both of those men had excellent track records, amazing behavior. In fact, The individuals that were Daniel's enemies tried to find some sort of um, corruption within his administration. They couldn't find it. And and what I found interesting was that they realized the only way that we're going to get Daniel in trouble is we we have to set up a scenario because we know that Daniel won't compromise morally. And particularly, he will not compromise when it comes to the law of his God. And so we need to create a scenario, like we need to create a civil law uh, 
that Daniel, as a believer, cannot keep, you know, be much like, well, you can meet on the first day of the week, but you can't sing. You can meet on the first day of the week, but you can't partake of communion. Uh-uh, no, sorry, bub. No, I'm, I'm following God. Um, we must obey God rather than men. And that's what the enemies of Daniel understood is the only way they could entrap Daniel or try to get him in trouble. And they failed in the end is that uh, Daniel's not going to compromise. And so we just have to come up with some sort of legislation um, that is, that's going to get Daniel in trouble with the laws of land, because we know Daniel's not going to budge. That's to me is, is what a compliment to Daniel. They knew, they knew that, I mean, it takes a lot of work to go in there and get the king to do something. And I mean, you're taking a big chance too, but I mean, basically in their mind, they said, we know the character of Daniel. We know that Darren Daniel will not compromise. Even on pain of death, Daniel will not compromise. And so there we got him. We, we know that we can get Daniel in the lion's den because he is not going to budge one bit. Man, are we like that? I mean, do the people in the world say, boy, if we made a law that you can not meet on Sunday, I know this. Mark's going to be down there on Sunday violating that law. I have no question about that. I have no question about where he's going to land. He is going to put God first without a doubt. Do we have that type of character that people could say, well, yeah, you can make a law like that, but that's not going to stop, stop old Mark from going. Um, we need to be more like Daniel. Now, in the Bible, I know that we have sinned and all have sinned, uh, Romans 3, 23. Yet at the same time, we are exhorted not to sin. John says that's why he writes. One of the reasons he writes is that they may not sin, 1 John chapter 2, 1 through 2. Yet from time to time, we do. And so we have an advocate with the Father. We have the access uh, as a Christian, you know, once that we're baptized in the Christ and we sin, we don't have to be baptized again. We have the access of repentance and prayer, and we can immediately take care of that and right, once again, be right with God. So we never have to be behind the eight ball again in our life. If we do sin, we can take care of it quickly, uh, humbly repent, and be back on our way serving God. Now, in the religious world, though, in the denominational world, I've seen a trend that I, I think is, is sad because I believe the trend downplays the seriousness of sin by saying, by saying things like, you know, us believers, we're just probably sinning all the time and we don't even know it. Or, you know, I'm still a sinner, just forgiven. I hate that bumper sticker. I hate that expression as if just forgiven is a consolation prize. Um, that's the blood of Christ. That's Jesus on the cross. There is no such thing as just forgiven. I'm forgiven. That's amazing. Uh, that's the grace of God. That is undeserved. But this idea, this idea that many people in the denominations still speak of themselves as, well, I'm still a sinner. Wait a minute. I don't find the Bible using language like that. In James 4, I find God's people called sinners, but that's because they were sinning <laughs> in James chapter 4 and calls them to repent. Rather, I find God's people called saints and brethren and disciples and Christians. I don't call them being labeled as sinners. I don't think it's healthy for a, um, a believer to view themselves as, well, I'm still a sinner, as if that's okay. Because it seems like that you've just given you, uh, yourself a free pass to uh, water down the standard, to really undershoot what God wants you to be. 
you need to think more in terms of, wait a minute, no, I'm, I'm a saint. I'm set apart. I've been set apart from sin. I no longer live. Christ lives in me, Galatians 2.20. And now I live for God. I don't use the instruments of my body, Romans 6, 13 through 16, for sin anymore. Rather, I use those instruments as weapons of righteousness. That's what I do. I keep my behavior excellent among the Gentiles. I strive. I seek to serve God. I'm seeking to put off the old man and crucify him and not let him come back. That's what I'm doing. Not only that, but this idea that we're, well, we're just probably sinning all the time and don't even know it. Well, then what chance do we have to be saved if that's true? Because sin condemns you. If your sin's not forgiven, you're in trouble. Not only that, but that tells me that the word of God is pretty useless. If I am sinning about all the time and I can't detect it, then what use is the word of God? Because I thought the word of God was able to detect and let you know clearly like that's sin and that's righteousness. That's wrong and that's good. I thought the word of God was able to do that. That, that he, mature men in the scriptures, mature men and women in the scriptures, Ephesians, or excuse me, Hebrews 5.14, are able to discern good from evil, that, that they can see their errors. And so, man, that, to me, there's a whole lot of problems with that. That just, that just seems like a big excuse that we all get to water it down and we go to this low common denominator. And I tell you what, that's one reason I never became a member of any denomination. That weak, weak, watered down version of the gospel never impressed me because, hey, I, I'm supposed to pick up my cross, but if I go to this church here and the people claiming to pick up the cross, if they're really living no differently than people in the world, well, man, I'm not going to sacrifice my life for that. I'm only going to sacrifice my life for something that works, that enables me to live differently. Uh, people are turned off by that sort of weak version of, well, you know, we're just all sinners. Well, then it means you really haven't made any progress. Why are you meeting? It looks like this, this doesn't accomplish anything, that this is a huge waste of time. I want to go to a group of people with, a, with God's standard, and they keep that standard high, and those people are aiming for it and meeting it. And they're saying like, hey, if we can do it, you can do it too, Mark. And they help me out of the mediocrity, and they help me out of um, selling out and just live in some low religious standard. Who needs that? Uh, I want something works. I, I mean, if I'm going to sacrifice for this, if I'm going to give up my sins, the things that I think I can't live without, but God says to me to give them up, I can give up those sins. I'm not going to give it up for something that doesn't work. I'm going to give it up for something that actually does work. If I'm going to make the sacrifice, then, hey, I'm not going to sacrifice for something that's a losing proposition. The other thing that strikes me is, and C.S. Lewis kind of, I saw this in a quote that he had given, is that as you look back upon your life, how many times you sin, and it would have been real easy at the moment not to sin. I mean, how many of your sins have been life and death situations? Like none, <laughs> okay? The vast, vast majority of all our former sins have been so unnecessary. Uh, they were just plain dumb, silly. And not only that, but when we did sin, did we put up a fight? Was there really any serious fight? Waging war, wrestling with the principalities and powers of heavenly places. Did we wrestle? 
Did we wrestle to the point of exhaustion? Did we give it our best? And I think we would say that the vast, vast, vast majority of the sins that we've committed over a lifetime, we didn't wrestle much. We didn't fight much. We didn't put up much of a struggle. Now, something else as you live the Christian life, you will make enemies, not intentionally or by doing something selfish or wrong or by hurting somebody else, but just naturally. You'll make enemies of those who resent God and his authority. Daniel made enemies. People did not like Daniel's moral behavior. Daniel was advancing. They did not like that, and they tried to bring him down. Uh, they played the game. Daniel did not play the game. Daniel was not into manipulation, and Daniel was not in the chief, seeking the chief seats. And that intimidates people that are selfish and evil. The early Christians were subject to false accusations and mockery, persecution, being ostracized, and Jesus warned us about that, Matthew 5, 10-12. The evil people in the world will attempt to discredit us, destroy us, limit our influence, cancel us, etc. Because you're the real threat to them. Because you ask embarrassing questions. You ask questions like, well, if you don't believe in God, then why are you still using words like justice and fairness and equity and ought and should and good and evil? Why are you doing that? If you don't believe in God, then why are you against racism? If there is no God, then there's nothing wrong with racism. There's nothing wrong with anything. But there's also nothing good about anything either in a universe without God. Nothing really matters. There's no final judgment of good or evil. It's just pretty much irrelevant. We're the ones that ask those embarrassing questions. You know, we ask questions like, well, if we just all evolved from chance, how did... How, how did how did the universe come into existence? Because something cannot come from nothing to begin with. How did life come from non-life? Because that's scientifically impossible. And are, are you just telling me that your brain that you're using the reason right now is simply the product of a chance and an accident? How do you know you're even making sense as you seek to communicate? I mean, where did your aesthetic nature come from? Where did your moral nature come from? And everyone has a moral nature. Even unbelievers, even atheists have a moral nature of there are certain things that they consider right and wrong and they're very adamant about. But if there's no God, you're being hypocritical. There is no right and wrong. And so believers ask the embarrassing questions. And not only that, but believers also demonstrate by their lives that you can understand the bible you can understand it alike you can have unity and you can practice it you can live it and so your presence basically is undermining all their arguments like well everyone's a hypocrite but you're not well you can't understand the bible like well you are with other believers uh, no one can live the Christian life. Well, you are successfully living the Christian life. Well, man, once you get into that sin, you can never get out of it. You were in that sin, and you got out of it. You don't practice that anymore. Well, you know what? You just can't. There's no way that you can stay away from that. That's too tempting. Well, you're staying away from it. See, you undermine, you seriously undermine all their their arguments, their excuses, their rationalizations. So I know we're not perfect, but seeing that you and I will be attacked, we need to do everything we can every day to build a track record or reputation that can withstand such attacks. 
don't let anyone people do not shy away from churches because they hold too high of a standard that's not the reason people expect churches to have high moral standards and when people get tired of their sin and sometimes they do the place that they're going to look to go to are the churches that are left following the biblical standard and the question is the same question that jesus asked when he arrives will there be faith on the earth the question is when people in the world are ready to make their lives right with god will there be a church in your community that still follows the bible pattern still holds uh, still holds the bible standards where jesus is still head where his word is still honored and will that still be there for them keep the light on friend keep the light on because there's a lot of confused people out there that are looking for an answer keep the light on this is mark dunnigan with the daily answer until next time we will see you of course you know where in the funny papers